1: we grow older we still choose that way we still prefer certain people over others we choose people based on their gifts their talents their looks their wealth or what can i get from them god doesn't need anything from anybody he doesn't care how good you are god calls the foolish to confound the wise and i'm one of those i'm one of those guys that god chose and eddie i can't trust you with anything else but this
0: men and women when we want to choose someone for a job tend to look at external appearance or other positive characteristics. We want other people to be impressed with our selection, and with us for selecting them. However, God doesn't choose that way. Pastor Eddie is teaching on the sovereignty of God and will illustrate using scripture how God chooses people. We will discover that God chooses who will further his kingdom. Well, let's turn to the ninth chapter of Romans, verse 14, and join Pastor Eddie as he begins his message.
1: Romans chapter 9, we're taking it from the 14th verse to 24, verses 14 to 24. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and of whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God wanted to show his wrath to make his power known Endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessel of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So that leaves us with the rest of chapter nine. Paul continues to give us the history of God's choosing. How God chooses in his sovereignty with the nation of Israel. Again, we don't want to be the chosen one in a sense of what Israel has been through, right? We see the history of what Israel has been through. The Jews would have been through from throughout history. And so God has chosen them not because they were special, not because they were better than all the other nations. As God told Moses, I didn't choose you because you were in great in numbers. Christ had to come, the Messiah had to come through a people and through a nation. And so God chose him through his sovereignty. And so Paul points out God's sovereignty in in God choosing Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau. And so he anticipates the question that some of his readers would have after reading this. After reading that God has chosen Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau and the nation of Israel over all the other nations, he knows that there's going to be some people who's going to object to to his teaching. And so he begins in verse 14 with a question. He says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? And so he answers the question, certainly not. Certainly not. In other words, in the Greek, it's like away with such a thought. Certainly not. And so the question is, is God unrighteous? Is God unjust? Is God unfair in choosing Isaac over Ishmael, in choosing Jacob over Esau, in choosing the nation of Israel over all the other nations? Is God unrighteous? And so when it comes to choosing, just like the way we look at the word hate, just like when we look at love, God doesn't love the way we love. His love is beyond. He doesn't hate the way we hate. And in the same way that God chooses, God chooses for a purpose. And number one, because he is God, period. But you know, growing up in New York City, we play stickball. There were many backyards in the city, right? We play stickball in the middle of the street, and it was sewer to sewer. The sewers were like maybe about a few yards away. And so we would play stickball, and I remember we used to always play stickball, and there was two captains. Two captains would choose their teams. What happens when we choose, right? We always want to choose the best players. We know who could play, who can And so one by one, the captains would choose their teammates, and they always pick the star players first. All the good guys always picked first. And then there's two. Cricket, 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 right? One with glasses, like, lopsided. You know, I want to play. You know, it's like you can barely see you want to hit the ball. And so we always have a way of choosing. And so I just want to bring that some kind of an illustration because kids, and that's how we choose. But believe it or not, in a way, as we grow older, we still choose that way. We still prefer certain people over others. We choose people based on their gifts, their talents, their looks, their wealth, or what can I get from them? And God doesn't need anything from anybody. He doesn't care how good you are. God calls the foolish to confound the wise. And I'm one of those. I'm one of those guys that God chose. And Eddie, I can't trust you with anything else but this. And so God's choosing, even when it comes to salvation, we know that God doesn't choose the way we do. God doesn't choose one because of his or her qualities, works, good or evil. Remember, just a few verses back in verse 11. Look up at verse 11. When it comes to God choosing Jacob and Esau, God chose them well before they were born. In Romans chapter 9 verse 11, it says, For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It has nothing to do with whether they were, one was better than the other. And so, is there unrighteousness with God, Paul asks? He answers his question, certainly not. And what that does is, it makes God sovereign, period. He's a sovereign God. God is God. God can do whatever he wants. God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, God chose Israel, by which he would bring forth the Messiah, And so he is God, and people have a problem with that. People have a problem with that. Christians shouldn't have a problem with that. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or disagree with it, God is God, and he does whatever he wants. Now, there are people who have a problem with that. There are people who not only have a problem with God having so much power and God's sovereignty, but they also have a problem with the fact that anybody could have power or authority there's a problem we right now currently living in the lawlessness place people don't care about authority they don't care about uh, who's in, who's uh, in the office they don't care about who's the teachers teachers are not being respected parents are not being respected no one is being respected Even those that have authority over them. And so people have this. It's because by nature we rebel. It's in our nature to rebel outside of God. That's why we need to be filled with the spirit of God. We need to have God in our heart because we want to rebel. And we love to rebel against authority. And we don't like to see people with too much power. We don't like to see people with too much authority. And that is because the power that has, from the very beginning, has always been the abuse of power, the corruption of power. And I could understand. But there's also those who don't like those with power because they're envious or angry. And so now they start to challenge and question that authority or that power. They even include God. And so we got to understand that when it comes to God... He's sovereign. He is God. He doesn't play by your rules. He's not by your rules. God is sovereign. And we're going to find that because God is God, he knows what he's doing. God knows the end from the beginning. We don't. God knows the end from the beginning. And if he knows the end from the beginning in your life, in my life, If he knows the plans that he has for a nation, any nation, even the nation of Israel, then you can trust that the sovereignty of God is only for your good. Overall, when we look at the sovereignty of God, it is for your good, my good. It's for the good of all people. How finite minds, we know nothing compared to God. I love Isaiah 55 verse 8. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We serve a sovereign God, and God's sovereignty, God's thoughts about you, me, and any nation, any people, any country in the world, the whole world. It's only for our good. And think about this, saints, God is always mindful of you. He doesn't he doesn't care about nature and trees cuz they know what they have to do. We're the one with the problem. Animals have no problem living life. Squirrels know that they have to work in order to hibernate, right? You know We have the problem. We don't know where we came from. Some would say cosmic soup. We don't even know where we're going. We have the problem. But God is always mindful of us. He cares about us. He cares about you. He cares about everything in your life. When you think that nobody cares what you're going through, let me tell you something. There's a God that knows all things. He knows what you're going through he knows how it's affecting you he knows how much your heart is broken and how confused or perplexed you are he knows that you need peace he knows that you need love god knows these things and his thoughts for you are beyond jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 love this verse for i know the thoughts that i think towards you says the lord thoughts of peace not of evil to give you a future and to give you a hope. Saints know this, that God is in charge and God is in control. Because God is in charge, God is in control, everything is going to work out fine. It may not seem like that right now, but God is in control. And so his sovereignty all works out for our good. Now, Paul is going to give us two illustrations. As he did with Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, He's going to give us two illustrations with Moses and Pharaoh. These illustrations are going to show us God's mercy, the mercies of God. And we'll see mercy mentioned six times in the next four verses, six times. Mercy means, this is what mercy means. Mercy means not getting what we deserve. Not getting what we deserve. That's mercy. Mercy. When we look at us as sinful people, before our BC days, before Christ, when you look, we deserve the wrath of God. But because of his grace, he offers Jesus Christ. That is grace. That is grace. Verse 15, he says, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Paul illustrates God's mercy going back to the time of the children of Israel. There's two things to look at when they built a calf and when Moses wanted to see the Lord. Well, the children of Israel made a a god of gold, a golden calf, and they started dancing around this calf and and chose another god other than the god that delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. They seen God. They seen God dealt with Pharaoh, with the plagues. They saw the hand of God. They saw the hand of God divide the waters where they could be set free the other side. They saw God in a cloud by day, in a pillar of fire by night. When they were hungry, the Lord provided manna from heaven. All that God has done, they chose another God. And so they danced around. Now, with the whole nation, The whole nation chose this God. The whole nation at this point deserved to be destroyed. The whole nation. Don't they deserve to be destroyed based on God's word, based who God is? However, the children of Israel left Egypt two and a half million people. By this time, they probably have over two and a half million people. But yet, though the children of Israel deserved all be destroyed, the wrath of God, only God allowed 3,000. And so we see the sovereignty of God. And the three that were destroyed, it was not because they were more wicked or less godly, but purely because of his grace and because of his mercy. The children of Israel, when Adam and Eve sinned, God could have destroyed them right there. Why would God allow Adam and Eve, after disobeying God, eating of the tree, falling to sin, to produce and continue on with the human race? Could have not God just taken care of us there? Yes, he could have. But because of his love and grace, it's because of his mercy. We also see afterward when Moses wanted to see God, when Moses wanted to see God, he wanted to see God with his physical eyes. Now, Moses didn't doubt God. He didn't say, I want to see if you're real. No, he believed in God. He went as the Lord called him when he was in the desert. When he, when he met God at the burning bush, he was obedient. He saw God, but he wanted to see God physically. And you read that in Exodus chapter 33. Moses said to the Lord, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. I don't know if you ever asked the Lord that in your prayer. Show me your glory. And here's where Paul quotes um, Exodus 33:19 and Exodus 33, verse 19, it says, "Then he said, "The Lord said to Moses, "I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, And I will have compassion." on whom I will have compassion. The Lord said to Moses, you cannot see my face and live. It's impossible. No man has seen me and live. But the Lord said, out of his mercy, he said, there's this cliff, this mountain, and it says, you can't see my face. I'm not going to lie you to see my face because you won't live. But when I pass by, I will put my hand to cover me, and you only will see my back. That's all you could see, Moses. Any more than that, you will die. And so, it went to the point where Moses actually saw the Lord, the back of the Lord, and his face illuminated. It glowed. It glowed so much that when he went back to the children of Israel, his face was shining. And they said, "Moses, you know, turn off the light. Put a. He had actually put a veil over his face." So the question here, because the Lord allowed Moses to see his back. So we look, sometimes we think about the grace of God and the mercy of God. We look at God not giving them what they deserve, punishment with the children of Israel. And now we see how God is beyond fair with one. And we start thinking, well, why God is more fair with him and not with me? And so the question is, because the Lord allowed Moses to see his back, was it unjust? Was it unfair for God to allow and to choose only Moses to see his back? I have to admit, if I was around Moses, I said, "Man, I want to see him too." I would say it's not fair. I want to see the glory of the Lord. It was an evidence of His mercy and compassion, according to His purpose for Moses to see Him. God is fair. We need to understand this. God is fair with everyone, but because He is God, He has fully reserved the right to be more than fair. To any individual or any nation as he chooses. We don't realize that God is fair. We got up this morning, didn't we? We're able to breathe. We have our lives. We have more than other people. We look in third world countries. We're blessed. We're blessed. Just the fact that I'm saved, that's good enough for me. But many want more. And so we think it's unfair. And in this case, God was more than fair with Moses, just as he was more than fair with the nation of Israel. And keep in mind with this, when it comes to the mercy of God, God's mercy, no one's entitled to God's mercy. We we live in a world where there's a sense of entitlement that we are entitled to get this because I need and I'm an American. We're spoiled here in this country. But when it comes to God's mercy, we're not entitled to God's mercy. And no one has the right to his mercy, as though God is obligated to show his mercy. And if that be the case, then it is not mercy, it's an obligation on his part. It is through his mercy and mercy alone. You know, it's hypocritical of us when we see someone doing wrong, and when we see someone commit a crime, whether against us or someone else, what do we cry? Justice. We want justice. We're quick to always cry out justice. No justice, no peace. That's the common phrase. We want justice. However, when we commit the crime and we do the wrong, we cry out what? Mercy. Mercy. You see? Mercy. Verse 16, so then he says... Is it not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy? It is God who decides to show mercy. It is not of any man of him who wills, that is, him who chooses or him who desires it or wants it, nor is of him who runs. In other words, he who is based on his performance, based on his work, he can't work for it. God's mercy for you, for me, God's mercy for you has nothing to do with you. Always remember that. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. It is solely, purely of God's desire to show mercy. However, there is a way that you and I could obtain mercy. There is a way that you and I, believers in Jesus' grace, Jesus Christ can't obtain mercy. You remember Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount. The eight blessings of the Beatitudes is known. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7: Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You want more mercy from God than be merciful towards others, that God would be merciful towards you. And so we must practice it ourselves, you see.
0: Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This incredible truth applies to us even today. We didn't do anything to warrant God's acceptance and love of us. He saw us while we were still sinners and loved us despite that. Would you like to know more about what that means for you? Please give us a call at 570-296-7367. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church family you can be a part of. The believers you'll encounter there will help you grow in your faith and offer you support in every situation. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania area, We'd love to have you come join us here in person at Calvary Chapel of Milford. For service times and more information, visit RunningTheRaceRadio.com. If you'd like to listen to more messages from Running the Race, Tracy has more information on how.
2: Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor Eddie, go to RunningTheRaceRadio.com and then click on the radio page. There you'll find today's message and many
0: more. Thanks, Tracy. Join us next time for the continuing verse-by-verse study of Romans with Pastor Eddie Panera, right here on Running the Race.